0: We're now beginning or continuing our study of Genesis chapter 6, Genesis 6 verses 13 to 22. And in this hour we'll also go into chapter 7 and finish chapter 7, but we will start at Genesis 6:13. And while you're finding your way there to Genesis 6:13, remember that G- Genesis chapter 6 to 9 is the account of the flood preparation for the flood, the flood itself, and then the aftermath of the flood, and God's continuance of a covenant with Noah and his descendants. In the introduction, we read the sons of God and the daughters of men intermarried, and there was sin that spread as a consequence of that. And this sin spread throughout the whole earth, and only Noah was found righteous. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, but everyone all around him was wicked and very corrupt. This is important because the judgment that is about to come is a righteous judgment. It's not a fickle judgment. It's not unfair. God is not being capricious. He is righteous in everything he does. And that's the, the reason for the introduction to make us aware that this is the case. Now let us see what God instructs Noah to do and how Noah is favorable in the sight of God because God has endowed him with grace and righteousness, and he is reflecting that grace and righteousness in his life. And then he prepares himself and his family for this global flood because all the world around him is not living this way and deserves the righteous wrath of God or judgment of God. Noah, however, maintains faith through all of this by his actions, by his obedience. Let's see how this is explained. Chapter 6, verse 13. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. The end of all flesh. By all flesh and the end of all flesh, he means everything else except what God will preserve in Noah, his family, and some of the animals on the earth. Otherwise, everything else, all flesh, will be destroyed. And why? Because of the earth is filled with violence. The earth is filled with violence because they have perpetuated violence, unrepented violence. And this is a summary of all the sins of the people. It has culminated in this kind of living. They are reckless and ruthless toward one another and they perpetuate or manifest their evil heart by the violence that they continue and perpetuate "...against one another. Therefore, innocent blood inevitably is shed because of violence. Violence implies the shedding of innocent blood, innocent human blood, and therefore it deserves the punishment of God. However, Noah is instructed by revelation, by an oracle or a word from God, Noah is instructed in what he should do to prepare for this. And it starts in verse 14. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. He's supposed to make for himself, and when he says for himself, for his benefit and benefit of his family, an ark, an ark or a sea-going vessel, a ship, a huge one, in order to preserve himself and some animals. It says gopher wood. Now, gopher comes from Hebrew into English as gopher. It is a transliteration. It is not the name of the animal in English. Some of us think that it is the name of the animal in English, but it's not. It's simply a transliteration. Not translation, but transliteration, because the Hebrew word was also pronounced gopher. Okay? So because of that, that's why it's called gopher wood in English. The majority of our translations will retain gopher wood because... Scholars are uncertain about the kind of wood it was. <clears throat> Some say it was uh, cedar wood, acacia wood, uh, cypress. There are different kinds of woods that are presented as the kind of wood that would have been used by Noah as the primary material for this ark. That's why it says gopher wood, but it's not an animal. So he, then he says, you shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. So, it will have rooms, plenty of rooms, and it will be preserved or it will be (coughs) proof or waterproof because of this pitch and because of the way that it's going to be structured. Because of the elements used, it will be suitable and durable and able to withstand all of the pressure, all of the violence that the water will uh, uh, perpetuate or rail against the, the ship. And therefore, it will be protected. He's assuring Noah that you will have ample room and ample structure and protection in this vessel. The room part of it, verse 15. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, and its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. 300 cubits would be about 450 feet in length. 50 cubits, about 75 in breadth or uh, width, and then the height, 30 cubits, about 45 feet in height. Furthermore, verse 16, you shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. It has at least three decks. There is some dispute or some uncertainty as to how many levels it had, Uh, but here it has at least three, three lower, second, and third decks. It has a window near the top. It has a door on the side. We'll notice that this door is also implied or referenced in chapter 7, verse 16, where it says, the Lord closed it behind them. That is, they all entered, and then God is the one who closed that door. Verse 17, And behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which the breath of life from under heaven, everything that is on the earth, shall perish. God will be the one to bring the flood of water upon the earth. This is not happening because of Mother Nature. It's not happening because of some inanimate force that is in view or in place in the way that the creation works, the way nature works. It's not haphazard. It's not chaotic. It's not something that happens by the the inanimate actions of nature and creation, nor is it happening because of some other god because there is no other God. Nor is it happening because of human action. It's not being brought about because humans have this ability to control the environment in this way to bring about this kind of catastrophic destruction. No, it is God who's going to do it and he's going to destroy all flesh. All flesh that has the breath of life. This breath of life Uh, Breath of life expression has to do with humans and animals, animals, land animals and birds, because they have blood, and in that sense, they have the breath of life. Not that animals have the image of God, but they have the breath of life. And in that way, they are different from plants, and they are different from rocks. They are similar to humans in that way. Verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives, with you. Though all else will be destroyed, God will establish his covenant with Noah and Noah's family. And in chapter 9, we also will note that it's Noah's descendants. So God's covenant will remain and be established in Noah, Noah's family, and the descendants of Noah. Because God is preserving a few people for himself. Right. He destroys all the rest, but he preserves a few for himself. And notice in verse 18, but when it says, uh, I will establish my covenant with you, the you is uh, singular. God establishes his covenant with Noah, and the others benefit from it. Right. The others benefit from this covenant. Verse 19. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds after their kind and of the animals after their kind of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. Two of every kind shall come to you to keep them alive. And as for you, take for yourself some of all food, which is edible and gather it to yourself and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Verse 19 mentions how two of every kind should come into the ark. And by this two, he means male and female. He means male and female are the two of every kind that should enter the ark. And then he specifies in 20, the birds and the animals and the creeping things of the ground. The birds, the animals, and the creeping things of the ground. Male and female among all of these animals, after their kind. We have to clarify, kind does not in the Bible mean species as used today. Kind in the Bible does not mean species as used today. You can have kinds that are less in number In the number of species we have of the various kinds of creatures, you can get into the thousands and tens of thousands, right? But in the Bible, kind does not equate to species. It is more um, basic than species is. Therefore, there would be fewer than we would anticipate if we read the word species into the Bible, then we would think, No, this is impossible. There is no way, absolutely no way, that all of these could have fit, even if we have just one of each, male and female of each. But that's not what the Bible means. The Bible is is referring to a smaller group. It will be plenty of animals in terms of quantity, but it is smaller in comparison to what we call a species. So, their purpose here, he wants to keep them alive. Verse 20 says, God desires to reproduce from these for the purpose of Noah and his family and descendants after the flood to keep them alive. And then 21, Noah is also supposed to take some of all food which is edible and gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. He will also collect some food for himself and for all the animals to last over a year. From chapter 7 and 8, we learn that this is over a year that they need to have plenty of food. Now, up to this point, Noah is hearing the word of God. He has not seen any of these things. Right. And according to the chronology of chapters 6 to 9, Noah would have been told this 120 years before the flood actually started. That means that he had 120 years to prepare for the flood. At what point God told him to build the ark like this, we do not know, but presumably God gave him plenty of time, ample time to prepare. Now, think about Noah's faith. Think about what Noah did not see that he had to believe because God said it would happen. Right? Right? He had to have faith. That's the definition of faith according to Hebrews 11.1. 1. Yeah. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, right? Faith is that which is uh, putting confidence in what we do not see. And Noah must have had that in order to obey God's command. No and that's what it says in verse 22. Thus Noah did, According to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Noah did whatever God told him. God's word was revealed, he believed it, and then he obeyed in accordance with what God said. That's the nature of true faith. That's what James says in James chapter 2. Faith without works is dead. He had true faith, therefore he had true works, or good works that demonstrated or evidenced, manifested, his faith. That's the way Noah was. Hebrews 11.7 asserts that by faith Noah built an ark for the preservation of his family. This is the way Noah was. Chapter 7. Noah's faith is further evidence in chapter 7 verse 1 by God's statement. 7.1 Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time or in this generation. Verse 1, God further reveals himself to Noah by commanding him and everyone else to enter the ark. Then he says why they should enter the ark. For you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time, or in this generation. Your Bible perhaps has the word alone there, and it may have the word alone in italics. That's because even though the word is not in the Hebrew text, it is implied by the Hebrew text, and your translation italicizes the implied word alone. Now, why would an English translation supply the word alone to clarify? Because you, in the original language, is a singular you. So God is saying to Noah, for you singular, or implied you alone, I have seen to be righteous before me in this time, or in this generation. Furthermore, I have seen to be righteous This adjective righteous is a singular adjective in the Hebrew language. In English, we say righteous for singular and plural. We say the righteous, and we could be speaking of the righteous man or the righteous woman, or we could be speaking of a group of people, and we say the righteous. We do not indicate in English a pluralized form of righteous. And we do this with other adjectives too, the poor, the rich, right, like that. So that's what's evident in English, the righteous, or I have seen to be righteous. But in Hebrew, the word is singular. It's singular. So it appears to me that God is telling Noah he's the only one. Of all the people on the earth, of all the people on the globe at the time, which would have been in the millions, minimally, hundreds of millions likely, And some have even proposed in the billions, billions upon billions of people on the earth at that time. And there would have been 1,656 years from the time of Adam until the time of the flood. So in 1,656 years, there would have been ample time for there to be hundreds of millions of people on the earth, if not billions of people at that time. And yet, only Noah. And if the interpretation is erroneous for me to imply or to assert that it's just Noah, well, it's just eight people, because it would be Noah, his wife, Noah's three sons, and their wives. So that would be eight people. It's still still incredible that eight people out of millions, or eight people out of hundreds of millions, or eight people out of billions were preserved and everyone else destroyed it would still be incredible of course that only eight however the bible is teaching us by this example that god always has a remnant always a few that he preserves for himself and everyone else is destroyed few in percentage and in comparison to the rest of the world thank you father and he says in this time or in this generation the patriarchs the godly patriarchs in genesis 5 By the time of the Flood, they had all perished. They had all died in in their own sin. Not because of this kind of sin, but because of original sin and their actual sin, they would have already died by the time the Flood started. And especially Methuselah, who would have died right before the Flood started, because he lived to be 969 years, and if we do the chronology, he would have died before the Flood started. But now that... God is telling him to enter the ark, he's the only one. Or at least, he's, if he's not the one, his family are the only ones righteous. Now, even when we say the family, I have to general, I'm generalizing when I say that because we know from Genesis chapter 9, 9 and verse 24, 24 to 27, or 20 to 27, that his youngest son, Ham, that he was a reprobate. He lived like a reprobate, and he, uh, he deserved a curse, uh, a curse to come upon him and his, his son, Canaan. So he was a reprobate. So Ham, just like Judas Iscariot, Judas Iscariot was among the 12 disciples, but he never really was a true disciple. Right. And I think in the same case, Ham, the son of Noah, was in the ark, but he was never really a believer, both before the flood, during the flood, or after the flood, was not a believer. So, back to Genesis 7 and verse 2. Returning to the faith of Noah and what he's supposed to do. 7 verse 2. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean too, a male and his female. Also of the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. In 2 and 3, verses 2 and 3, the best way to understand what God's command is here is for Noah to take, among clean animals, seven males and seven females. Among the unclean animals, one male and one female. Like that. A male and female. Uh, a ma- because he clarifies in verse 2, he says... By sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean, two, meaning a male and his female. Okay? So that is likely what God meant. Um, There are other interpretations of it, but we get the gist that God desired there to be more clean than unclean animals that came onto the ark and Noah was to bring them into the ark. Verse 4. For after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Seven more days. He's supposed to enter the ark and wait seven days with these animals, preparing for the rain to come. Seven more days. Can you imagine that too, in reference to his faith? Already, he's been building this ark and everybody else around him is living as they please. Right. As we w- we'll notice na- later, they are marrying, they're giving in marriage, they're just having a happy time, they are saying, "Eat, let's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die, and it doesn't matter, we don't need to prepare for any judgment, there's nothing coming ahead, and then at the same time, with that attitude, they would be mocking Noah. Right. Noah, you must be insane. You, you are telling us this is happening. You're a preacher of righteousness, but we don't see it. We don't believe it. You are crazy, and we are sane. You are insane, and we're sane. This is likely what's happening, and Noah has to deal with all that and even stay in the ark for seven days without any rain coming yet. But he's believing the word of God. He's believing the word of God that this will happen. And verse 5 reiterates that point. And Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. What God told him to do, he did. Without questions, without doubts, with conviction, with hope, with faith, he believed in the word of God. Notice in verse 6, how long He believed in the word of God. Now, Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water came upon the earth. He was 600 years old, which means that he did not believe temporarily. He did not believe superficially. He did not have a vacuous faith. He did not have a vaporous faith. He had a true faith that lasted. It was lasting at least 600 years of his life. And we know from chapter 9 he died at the age of 950, yeah. and from Hebrews 11:7 and other places of the New Testament, we know that he remained a believer until he died for 950 years. For 950 years. He did not fall away. He did not have temporary faith. He endured no matter what was happening around him. He had resolve and determination to do the will of God. Verse 7, Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood. They too knew and believed that it was going to happen, so they entered the ark with Noah. Verse 8, Of clean animals and animals that are not clean and birds of everything, that creeps on the ground and birds and everything that creeps on the ground there went into the ark to Noah by twos, male and female as God had commanded Noah all of these animals it says they went into the ark to Noah as God had commanded Noah now some wonder how this could be how could it be that these animals would go into the ark well, number one this whole incident is full of miracles. So we should not be surprised by God's miraculous power. If we believe in Genesis chapter 1 that God is a God of miracles, he supernaturally created this whole universe out of nothing, he created the whole universe, then this should not be a surprise to us. If he Raise Jesus from the dead, and all the other miracles that Christ performed, and all the other miracles of the Bible, if all those actually happened, this should not surprise us either. Furthermore, however, let's look at chapter 9, chapter 9, verse 2. After the flood, after the flood has ended, it says in Genesis 9, verse 2, And the fear of you and the terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky. With everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand, they are given. If God now causes the fear of man to be in the animals, does that not imply that the fear of man was not in the animals before? Right. Yes. And so this would be also like Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2, all the animals are brought before Adam and he gives them names. Right? So in the same way, the animals are brought to Noah and they enter the ark. Because there was no fear of man in the animals at that point. Next, we read verse 10. And it came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth in the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month on the 17th day of the month on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were open and the rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. God's word in verse 10 is fulfilled, right? He said in chapter seven, verse four, after seven more days, I will send rain On the earth and then in verse 10 and it came about after the seven days that the water of the flood came upon the earth as God said so it happened he fulfilled his word and they experienced that further in verse 11 in the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month on the 17th day of the month a couple of things we should observe from this Some wonder if the age or lifespan of these patriarchs was real. And I believe so. And Noah is the best example. Noah and his son Shem are the two examples, but Noah the best example of how this was actual age. Because they preceded, they survived the flood, and after the flood, their ages are mentioned in Genesis 9, 28, and 29, and there is no difference in the way that it is presented. And in 9.28, it says, And Noah lived 350 years after the flood, so all the days of uh, Noah were 950 years, and he died in reference to Noah. This is the way it speaks of him before the flood, during the flood, and then after the flood. And then Genesis 11. Shem, one of the sons of Noah, he's mentioned in Genesis 11, verse 10, and it's from him that Abraham comes later. From Shem is Abraham, and then from Abraham to our period, now we have basically our time in history after the flood, from Abraham to our t- period. So 1110, these are the records of the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old, and he became the father of our Pakshad two years after the flood. So, and then as you continue reading, his age is described as it was described before the flood with the other patriarchs. The same phraseology, the the same terminology is used of Shem and Shem's descendants. So therefore, why would we suspect, unless we deny miracles, unless we deny what the text says plainly, why would we assume or conclude that the ages were exaggerations, or the ages are just legendary and mythological, why would we assume that? We shouldn't. We should assume that it is the same. Right. That's how we should take it. Another thing to consider in Genesis 7-11, is some discussion as to the time of the year of this flood. What time of year did this happen? Did it happen in the fall around September, October, November? Or or December even, or did it happen in the spring, March, April, May, around that time? Well, in the Bible, before Exodus chapter 12, in the Bible, before Exodus chapter 12, there was only one way of reckoning the calendar, one way of computing days and weeks, months and years, only one way and that way has become known as the political way or as the civil way, at the civil calendar, the political or the civil calendar, and that would begin in the fall, in September or October, depending on the, the calendar system used, the Gregorian calendar, the Julian calendar. So it would have been, would have been in the fall. That means that Adam and the whole earth They were created in that first week of creation in the fall. And then that's how the calendar would have been reckoned, from Genesis to Exodus chapter 12. Then in the rest of the Bible, a few times, that maintains itself, that retains that way of reckoning. But from Exodus chapter 12 onward, a new calendar was instituted that coincided, or that was also used, in the history of the people of Israel. In Exodus chapter 12, because of the Passover, God said, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. So the religious calendar, the festival calendar, began in the spring, because that's when the Exodus occurred. It occurred most likely in the month of March, in the month of March. So, the debate or the question is, did this happen in the fall or in the spring? And I think that because we're dealing with Genesis and this part of history, I think it was in the fall, or uh, it's as it says, in the second month. So not in September, but around October or November, because they're not, the months are not calculated precisely as our months are but it would have likely have been in the fall. But those are the two choices, whether in the fall or in the spring. Now, in the fall, there is a greater chance that there would have been a collection of the summer harvest and even those early um, fruits in the fall to be able to take them into the ark. And that's why some wonder about when it actually happened. But let's also notice in verse 11... A couple of more aspects of what is asserted here. It says, All the fountains of the great deep burst open. The fountains of the great deep burst open. This is a reference to the subterranean waters. The waters that are under the earth, and there is plenty of water under the earth. Right? Go go down hundreds of feet, thousands of feet, there will be plenty of water, there is plenty of water under the earth. And this is widely known. It was widely known in ancient history, and it's also widely known today. There, there are plenty of waters under the earth. So this is the reference, the fountains of the great deep burst open. Likely, God created earthquakes and separations of the land in order for all this water from below to gush forth and come out. And this would have been the majority... Likely, the vast majority of all the water that came upon the earth came from this source. A second source it says, the floodgates of the sky were opened, the floodgates of the sky. Some have thought that there was a canopy above the earth, and from this canopy uh, above the earth, there was enormous water reserves that God caused to fall on the earth. Now, there may have been a canopy, and We do know that there was water that came because that's what the text says. The floodgates of the sky were opened. However, whether we believe in a canopy or not, whether it's the clouds or the canopy, one way or the other, that is what the floodgates of the sky means. That's what I propose. One way or another, that's what floodgates of the sky means. It doesn't mean something else that was miraculously God sending water from the sky or sending water from outer space or something like that. Nothing like that, but from either the canopy or the clouds. Now, why do I say that? In Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, the same phrase is used, though your Bible may not indicate that, from the translation of Malachi. But in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, this phrase for the windows of the heavens, or in Genesis 7, verse 11, NASB says, floodgates of the sky. In Malachi 3.10, the Hebrew phrase is the same in Malachi 3.10 and the NASB there. It says, the windows of heaven. The windows of heaven. And this is in reference to God sending rain so that there are fruitful crops. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until there is no more need. Therefore, it's likely, because of this reference in Malachi, that floodgates of the sky or windows of heaven. And it would be my preference to translate both of these passages the same way, like that, That's the way it should be. Therefore, he's talking about something like that happening, that God would send rain from above. Then, one more place that has a similar phrase, though not precisely the same, is in Psalm 78. Psalm 78. 78, 78.23. Psalm 78.23. Yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. Here, instead of calling it the windows of heaven, it's called the doors of heaven. However, we see that it is synonymous to the clouds, the clouds above. God caused there to be enormous amount of rain to fall from the clouds. That's likely what happened. And this happened... This outburst happened for 40 days and 40 nights. Notice, 40 days and 40 nights. Not just one day or two days or three days. And if it were to happen like that in our situation, if it lasts for more than two or three days, we know that there will be floods in many, many places, right? But in this case, it lasted for 40 days, and not locally, but globally. 40 days Globally. Verse 13. On the very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons, with them entered the ark. There, we have more specification, and we can conclude that there were eight individuals. Right. Eight individuals. And this is why, such as in First Peter chapter 3, verse 20, he says eight persons that there were eight persons because of a verse like this and elsewhere we will see in this narrative. There were eight individuals who entered the ark. And not only them, verse 14, they and every beast after its kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. So they went into the ark to Noah by twos of all flesh in which was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him, and the Lord closed it behind him. They're all in there now, and God closed the door. God closing the door is a seal, it's a confirmation, it's an endorsement of all that is happening. It's a seal, a confirmation of what is happening. God is ensuring to them that, that he is with them in this journey, this year-long journey in the ark. Even though there will be havoc all around them and destruction and misery, there will be death that happens instantly from that point onward. It's going to happen to people and to the animals. God will take care of them. He, is, he opens doors and he closes doors to protect his people. Then, verse 17, Then the flood came upon the earth for forty days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark, so that it rose above the earth. And the water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. And the water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed fifteen cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. Let's note here, 17 to 20, the flood came for 40 days. It increased, it lifted up the ark. It rose above the earth. The the ark rose above the earth. That's how much water there was because it was a huge vessel with a lot of weight in the vessel, correct? And yet it floated. As it says in verse 18, and the water prevailed and increased greatly and the ark floated on the surface of the water. Not only that, if that's not clear enough, verse 19, the water prevailed more and more, more and more, and all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. That means that there were mountains before the flood, not just after the flood, but before the flood. And all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. That means under the heavens, not just under a particular part of the heavens, but over the whole earth. Around the whole globe, there was so much water that even the high mountains, the highest mountains, were covered. And how much? Verse 20 The water prevailed 15 cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. 15 cubits higher than the highest mountain. 15 cubits. 22 feet at least, 22 to 25 feet higher than the highest mountains. Yeah. That's how much water was everywhere. As a consequence, God, God's judgment was inflicted. 21, and all flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind of all that was on the dry land all in whose nostrils was the breath of, the spirit of life, died. All of these um, animals that possess blood and breath, these died. And all mankind, meaning all the rest of mankind, they all died. Nobody else survived. Only these eight survived. Only these eight. No one else. Which should also reiterate to us this fact, that all of us, after the flood, are a part of the family of Noah. In one way or another, we are all the descendants of Noah and Noah's sons. This is the way of mankind. And we're not even specifically or directly from Noah because Noah's three sons, Noah only had those three sons, so we are a descendant of one of his three sons. That's the way the Bible describes it. To confirm this, Let's look at chapter 9. Chapter 9 verse 19. 9:19. 9, 19. These were the sons of Noah and from these the whole earth was populated. The sons of Noah mentioned in verse 18, Cham, Ham and Japheth, and from these the whole earth was populated chapter 10 verse 1 Now these are the records of the generations of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and sons were born to them after the flood. 10:32 chapter 10 verse 32 These are the families of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies by their nations, and out of these the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. That's what the Bible teaches. And even Paul assumes this and reiterates this in summary in Acts 17 26 where it says and he made from one Acts 17 26 he made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the surface of the earth he made from one for all the nations of the earth to live verse 23 Genesis seven twenty three. thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky and they were blotted out from the earth and only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark and the water prevailed upon the earth one hundred and fifty days. This curse of God, punishment of God occurred. Everyone else, everything else was blotted out but Noah and those in the ark with him. A confirmation of the word of God. God announced judgment, and then he confirms it. He blotted them out. He destroyed them. He wiped them away. Utterly annihilated them, all the rest, because they got what they deserved. This is the judgment of God. And furthermore, to ensure this widespread devastation, to ensure that it happened, and to ensure that we believe that it happened. It says the water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. When it says it prevailed upon the earth 150 days, it means that there was no recession. It did not subside for 150 days. It dominated the whole globe for 150 days. That's the kind of destruction that was constantly employed by God to destroy everything. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.